I want you to listen carefully. First of all, the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians was written to a number of churches, all right? Paul's other books that were written, that were letters written to churches and to individuals, they were written to one church. The books of First and Second Corinthians were written to one local assembly in the city of Corinth. Paul's letter to the church of Philippi, the book of Philippians, was written to one congregation in the city of Philippi because there was only one. I got a sneeze coming up. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, was written to one church in the city of Philippi because there only was one congregation, one Christian congregation in the city of Philippi. Galatians is different. Galatians, Galatia was not a city. Galatia was a region. And in this particular region, there were a number of churches. And after had Paul had gone there, and won souls, and started a church, and then gone to the next place in that region, and won souls, and started a church. And after he had left, some Jews came through, and I explained this in Sunday school this morning, we're not talking about a race of people, we're talking about the religious leaders in the Jewish religion in that day, they came behind, and there were some uh men in the Jewish religion, the leadership, who were trying to merge the Old Testament way with the New Testament way. And so they were going through and trying to convince these believers, after Paul had already been there, they were trying to convince these believers that, yeah, you're saved by grace through faith, all that good stuff, but if you don't do this, this, and this, you won't stay saved. And you see very clearly by reading the book of Galatians that Paul is refuting that. And so that's what the book of Galatians is, that uh, you are, you're saved by grace through faith, and you, say, you stay saved by God's grace. And, and so there's no works that you have to do, there's no works that you can do to stay saved. So... Six chapters in this book, if you were to break them down, you could break them down this way. The first two chapters are the past. The second two chapters, chapters 3 and 4, are the present. And the third two chapters, chapters 5 and 6, are the future. The past, chapters 1 and 2, is Paul telling them his relationship with the gospel for all these years. Chapters 3 and 4 is Paul rebuking them and correcting them for their They're drifting off into false beliefs. He says at one point, who hath bewitched you? In other words, who messed with your mind? Who taught you this error? Who taught you this false teaching? So chapters 3 and 4 deal with the present at the time of his writing. And then chapters 5 and 6 deal with the future, their future. Let's move on from you guys embracing this false teaching and let's get back on track and let me teach you how to walk in the Spirit. Let me teach you again how 
to live for Christ and how to live a victorious Christian life. So we're in that part of Galatians 5 and 6, the future. And Paul, part of what Paul is teaching in the passage, the verses we read, Galatians 6, 1 through 5, is how to be a burden bearer. So let me make this comment. Where there are people, there are always burdens to be borne. There are the burdens of individuals. There are the burdens of the group. And then there are also the burdens of just sustaining the group. Anytime, in other words, there's not just the collective burdens of the people in this room, but there are the burdens of enabling you to meet. I'll give you, since I didn't bear this burden, but, but uh, the Lord took care of us on this. Uh, but, um, you know, as the weather has gotten colder, I, I hardly ever go up into the teen house. Number one, I don't have a key. That's sad, and the pastor doesn't have a key. But I have no reason to go up there. And plus, uh, anytime I do have a reason to go up there, and I let it be known I have a reason to go up there, my wife wants to spare my foot, and she says, let me go up there for you. So uh, there's almost never a time I go up there. But uh, the last few days, a couple of different people have said, it's gotten so cold this week, Pastor, you should know that uh, for some reason the the furnace isn't working up there. And so... um, I didn't have a chance to do anything about it. So yesterday, uh, I went up to the house. And uh, I, because if it was still, I walked in and the therm, therm, thermometer said 43 degrees. I said, well, if it's 43 degrees here tomorrow morning, we're not having Sunday school up here. We're just going to have to figure out how to do it all in the church building. So I, what do I know about furnaces? And that's a propane furnace. So what do I know about propane furnaces? Even less than I know about an oil furnace. But I decided to go just see what I could do. Let me show you what I could do, all right? You know that switch on the wall that everybody's furnace has? It's like a light switch, but it's a red box, and you can turn it off or on. That's what I did. I went over, and it said, okay, it's on, so let me turn it off and turn it back on again. All right, I don't think that did anything. So I went downstairs, and I made my way through the cobweb cave back to where the propane furnace, and it really is a state-of-the-art propane furnace that uh, that John Proctor put up there a few years ago. It's beautiful, state-of-the-art, and and I noticed that there was some sound coming from it. Now, you know, you men, and maybe ladies too, but I know men for sure, if you own your own home, you get to where your ears know the sounds. You know what I mean? And you know when there's a sound that's not supposed to be, and uh, you know when there's a silence that's not supposed to be. You know what I'm saying? Like this, I should have heard this sound right about now, and I didn't. What's going on? And uh, you sit up in the middle of the night like a, like a hunting dog, and your wife, you know, what's the matter? Is there, is there a, is somebody in the house? No, I didn't hear what I was supposed to hear or I'm I'm hearing something I'm not supposed to hear a hum and anyway so I go I'm I'm hearing noise come from this propane furnace I'm looking around I don't know what to touch I don't know what to do 
but I saw one thing. There's like a drawer, believe it or not. There's a drawer in this in this furnace. So I opened the drawer, and I, it felt like some science fiction thing. There's a white button there, and the white. I get my glasses out and my flashlight, my phone light, and uh, it's in the on position. I said, "What could it hurt?" So I flipped it off, and I flipped it back on. I closed the drawer. I left the building. I got. I parked my car up there. I pulled back down, and as I'm pulling back down to come back to my office, there's white smoke coming out of the exhaust. I'm like, praise the Lord. I'm a furnace man, and I didn't even know it. Okay, so I told that silly little story because heating the building is a burden that must be borne just so we can get together. All right, so that's what I mean when I say Anytime there's people, there are always burdens to be born. There are individual burdens to be born. There are collective burdens to be born. And then there are burdens to be born just so that we can get together. And there are even more than that. There are, there are people interaction burdens and so on and so forth. So you get what I'm saying because that's a foundational statement there. There are physical burdens to be borne when you're dealing with, with people. There are, and when I say dealing with people, I'm not excluding myself. I'm a people too. And so uh, when we get together, uh, there's a creation of burdens, physical burdens, emotional burdens, financial burdens, mental burdens, spiritual burdens, prayer burdens, on and on. Where there are people, there are always Burdens to be born. Where there are burdens, there must be burden bearers. Now, let me say this. To some degree, you will either be a burden bearer or you will be the burden. When you look at any Scenario, whether we're talking your family, your shift at work, your class at school, your church, any people thing that you're a part of. And you ask yourself, do I bear the burdens? Do I make it work? When, when there's friction and conflict... Do I bear the burden of bringing peace? And listen, being a peacemaker, there's a big old difference, big, big, big difference between being a pacifist and being a peacemaker. Being a pacifist means you just stand back and do nothing and whatever will be, will be. But, but we can't, you know, we can't fight to make things better. Being a peacemaker is hard work. It takes confrontation. It takes having the strength to keep your mouth shut. It takes sometimes having to speak up when you don't want to speak up. Being a peacemaker is hard work. So whatever you're involved in, when there's conflict, when there's a struggle, when there's a challenge, do you make any effort to fix it? 
Or are you just the person that says, well, you know, somebody's got to do something here. All righty. To some degree, in those circumstances, if you're not the burden bearer, you're part of the burden that somebody else has to bear. That is a uh, wake up and smell the coffee kind of a concept. That is a it's time to grow up kind of a concept. And I'm not saying for there's a lot of burden bearers in this room. I'm not saying, you know, all right, time for y'all to grow up. I'm not saying that at all. But if you have grown up and you have decided to be a burden bearer in the various scenarios and, and interactions of your life, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. There came a point where you had to decide, I will not be an observer. I will not be a spectator. I'm going to be a burden bearer. And I know, you know, there's this. Well, it's not my job to be a burden bearer in that situation. You can help be a burden bearer even when it's not your job to be one. How? By backing the burden bearer. A lot of times the burden bearer's job is not very popular. And it means an awful lot to him to have one person in the group stand up and say, well, uh, he's, he's doing the hard work. Let's support him. Let's stand behind him. You know, I know it's not popular. I've never worked a job where it was popular to back the boss. You get called all kinds of names, many of which I can't repeat in the pulpit. Or out of the pulpit. But when your foreman or your supervisor or even the person who signs the paychecks is trying to get everybody to do the right thing, (laughs) trying to get everybody to do what they're paid to do, and you stand up and say, "Well, you know, uh, I'm going to do what I'm going to do what he said." Oh, you get called a yes man. You'll get called all kinds of. You're oh, you're a company man. Now I'm doing what I'm getting paid to do. You may not be the burden bearer in that situation, but you are helping the burden bearer. Let's take it to school. All right, in class, nobody wants to be that person in class that. Uh, when the whole classroom rises up against the teacher, and I don't mean to hurt the teacher physically, I just mean, you know, the morale, the wave, the, the you know how it is in a, in a classroom setting. The whole classroom can turn against the teacher, especially if it's a substitute teacher. All right, can I get a witness? Yeah. Uh, don't act so innocent. You know what I'm talking about. You get a substitute teacher, and now all of a sudden you got uh, 25 people that have determined that uh, we're going to make that person miserable. And you say, well, yeah, but, you know, nobody nobody likes that person. Nobody likes an apple polisher. Nobody likes that person that goes up and saying, well, teacher, I'm with you. Uh, at the very least... You can just follow instructions. You don't have to get up and make a speech. You don't have to be, you know, some pious, self-righteous person who says, well, I'm going to do what the teacher says. You can just do what the teacher says. I'm saying in so many settings, 
You can be the burden bearer, but if it's not your job to be the burden bearer, you can back the burden bearer, and by doing so, you are a burden bearer. But I'll say again, where there are people, there are always burdens to be borne. And where there are burdens, there must be burden bearers or the thing will fail. And to some degree, you will either be a burden bearer or you will be the burden. So, what I want to give you tonight from the passage we read, Galatians 6, verses 1 through 5, very quickly. I want to give you 12 traits of the burden bearer. And since this passage is talking about being the burden bearer, they're all right here in this passage. You may not think that these various traits... I didn't sit down and say, let me come up with a 12-point outline based on this passage. I read the passage, and I'm reading the passage in my own personal Bible study, and bang, God shows me, this is a burden bearer here, and there's some qualities about this person. And by the time I was done, there were 12 on the list, and now I'm sharing them with you. 12 traits of the burden bearer. If you don't see where the trait is in the passage then maybe at least write it down and go back and meditate on it later. Meditate means think. You're welcome. All right, 12 traits of the burden bearer. Number one, it says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault. Trait number one, he's watching out for his fellow believer. How would you know if your fellow Christian is overtaken in a fault? Only if you're watching out for him. By the way, watching out for him in prayer. You'll be more sensitive to the needs of your fellow believers if you're praying for them. How many people in this room are on your prayer list? How many people and how often do you take that prayer list to the Lord? And how passionately do you take that prayer list to the Lord? He's watching out for his fellow believer. Second trait of a burden bearer, number two, he is a spirit-filled Christian. It says, ye which are spiritual. Oh, you say, Pastor, that says spiritual. It doesn't say spirit-filled. I believe spiritual is synonymous with spirit-filled. Can you tell me how a person, if you really know your your Bible, how a person, how a New Testament Bible-believing Christian can be spiritual without being spirit-filled? If you are spiritual, as opposed to being carnal, fleshly, The Spirit of God is going to fill you. The Spirit of God fills as much of you as you empty. And the very idea of being spiritual means that you have chosen to empty yourself of the carnal. So spiritual is synonymous with spirit-filled. So the burden bearer is watching out for his fellow believer. He is a spirit-filled Christian. Number three, it says, restore such and one. Number three, he is a restorer. The burden bearer wants, when someone backslides and, and drifts from the Lord, he has a desire, a burden to restore that person to, in his walk with Christ, restore that person in his relationships with other believers. He wants to bring that person back. You know, when you're either away from the Lord or you've never gotten close to him to begin with, you assess everything through 
carnal eyes, which means, and put it down on the bottom shelf here, which means you think everybody's motivated by the same things that an unspiritual person is motivated by. Well, what is, what is an unspiritual person motivated by? What can they do for me? So your motive in helping somebody would be, well, I'll help them because they can do this or that for me. I need them. The burden bearer is not motivated by what can they do for me. Because, by the way, he's spiritual. He's got a different motive. His motive is, I want to be restored. Why? Because that pleases the Lord. Because he's working to restore me. Because if I drift away from the Lord, I want other people to work to restore me. Because that is what makes this whole thing of the Christian faith and the body of Christ work. Is that we want fellow believers to be restored. The Bible says pray for your enemies. Bless them that curse you. It doesn't happen often, but occasionally another believer decides for some reason to make me his or her enemy. So what do you do? I pray for them. I don't pray for them to die. (laughs) I don't pray for them to be injured or hurt. I pray for them to be restored. I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm telling you how I think I'm supposed to pray. Lord, bring them back to thinking right. Break down their pride so that they can see things the way they're supposed to see them. If you're going to be a burden bearer, you've got to be a restorer. Next it says, in the spirit of meekness. Number four, the burden bearer is meek. I said he's watching out for his fellow believer. He's a spirit-filled Christian. He is a restorer. Number four, he is meek. What in the world does it mean to be meek? My favorite definition of meekness is strength under control. You know what member of your being needs to be under control more than any other? This one right here. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Just because you think you know what ought to be said doesn't mean you should say it. In military terms, it's good for all of us to learn this phrase, this concept, stand down. Let somebody else do the talking. Now, I'm not talking about when it's time for action. When it's time to do what you're supposed to do, step up. But when it's time to to, to try to be in charge, when it's time to give your opinion, I love that quote. That's why we put it on the wall back there. If you want people to respect your opinion, don't give it very often from Dr. Ray Young. Just because you think, you oh, I know what needs to be said here. You've heard the phrase. It's a popular phrase that some people just have no filter on their speech. We need to be able to control what we say, when we say it, how we say it. By the way, can I throw this out to you? Control what you put in print, especially on social media. You know why? Because people do not, they can't hear your tone of voice when you text. I know I said social media, I know texting, but you know what I'm saying. 
You send a text, people can't see the expression on your face. They don't know your tone of voice. And that's why it's so important either to not text sensitive things or to set the climate. Sometimes it's time to say, you know what, I need to call you about this. I remember somebody probably, I don't know, two years ago was asking me very, very personal advice through texting. And I said, you need to come to church and we'll talk about it. He said, no, 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 just just text me the answer. And he, I, said, um, I said, I'm not going to text you my answer. Why not? I mean, he was pretty, uh, pretty upset about it. I said, because it's very, <laughs> I promise you this happened. Because it's so easy to be misunderstood in a text. And he answered, I don't understand why it's easy to be misunderstood in a text. I said, exactly. (laughs) But the spirit of meekness, the spirit of letting other people speak, even when they're talking foolishness sometimes, they just need to be heard. And uh, there's a lot that goes with that, but the fact of the matter, the spirit of, if you're going to be a burden bearer, you've got to be meek in the spirit of meekness. Next it says, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Number five, the burden bearer is cautious. When you try to be a hero, there's a lot of traps that it's very easy to fall into. And trying to be your hero is not a good motive. I didn't say that the right way. But being a burden bearer can lead to trying to be a hero. And then all of a sudden you're vulnerable to things that can get you into a lot of trouble. So he's cautious. Next it says, bear ye one another's burdens. Number six, he puts others first. You know what you have to do to bear someone else's burden? Usually, you got to put yours down for a little bit. Yo, know, I was right in the middle of, you know, you know how much I got going on? They're so. Yeah. But you may have to bur- put your burden down to bear someone else's burdens. He puts others first. It says, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Number seven, he strives to love like Jesus loves. What's the law of Christ? It's, as I have loved you, you love one another. A new commandment I give unto you. And the apostles referred to that often because it was a new law that Jesus introduced to the disciples. And so the law of Christ is, as I have loved you, so love one another. He strives to love like Jesus loved. All right, we are through number seven. Let me just review so far. We're almost done here. Twelve traits of the burden bearer. He's watching out for his fellow believer. He's a spirit-filled Christian. He's a restorer. He's meek. He's cautious. He puts others first. He strives to love like Jesus loves. Then it says, For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Number eight, he is honest with himself. You can't be a burden bearer if, if you think that you're qualified to be one. You can't be a bur- burden bearer if you think you're the only, I'm the only one that can help this person. Oh, be careful with that nonsense. That's pride. 
And it disqualifies you from bearing anybody's burdens. If a man think himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceiveth himself. A burden bearer's got to be honest with himself. Next, but let every man prove his own work. I love this one. I love this. Number nine, he values the opportunity to prove that he is genuine. Now, it's hard work proving that you're genuine. It takes sacrifice. It takes time. It takes your resources. But you prove that you're genuine. And you have the opportunity to serve more after that. He let every man prove his own work. He values the opportunity to prove that he's genuine. Next, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone. Number 10, the burden bearer strives to provide his own resources. Then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone. Now there's a fine line between rejoicing in yourself alone and being proud. But there is a certain level of standing on your own two feet, depending on the Lord Jesus Christ as you do, And there's a value in that where you know I did what the Lord called upon me to do. I didn't need any credit. I didn't I didn't uh, I didn't look for support and I didn't get anybody. I wasn't looking for it. I can face the Lord, not just at the judgment someday, but in my own personal time with the Lord, I can face the Lord and say, Lord, that problem arose today. Someone needed someone to bear a burden, and I did it. Nobody knows I did it, but me, maybe that person doesn't even know that you did it. But you and God know that you did it. Then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone. Number 11, it says, and not in another. Now, Before I tell you what trait number 11 is, let me explain that. Not in another. Listen to this statement. We only blame others because we depend on others for our success. Okay? It's a tricky thing. I need you. We need one another. But I'm not going to live my life being dependent on you to the extent where I'm never going to do anything if, if you don't volunteer to help me. And I'm not talking as a pastor now. I'm talking just as a fellow believer. Does that make sense? We need, you don't ever want to get to the place where, I don't need anybody. I'm self-made, married off. That's all a bunch of proud nonsense. We need one another. But I'm not dependent upon everyone else to the, in, in the sense that well, I can't do nothing and nobody wants to help me. There's a very famous quote in our church. You may know who made the quote. I think it should be on a sweatshirt. He's uh, someone that I love dearly, and he's probably listening right now. He knows who he is. Uh, he's listening on the podcast. Um, I'm trying to be more independent, but nobody wants to help me. I love that. That is a classic statement. I don't want to do, and this, this fellow doesn't do that. He was just making a profound statement, that's all. But, but um, I don't want to be dependent upon everybody else so that all oh, I could just sit, out, sit around and blame them for my failure. 
Okay? So with all that in mind, that statement and not in another, then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Number 11, the burden bearer does not proceed or thrive on blaming and accusing. Now you have to ponder that one to see how, that, but, but in my mind it's very clear that when it says rejoicing not in another, that this is a guy who is not a blamer, he's not an accuser, because he is depending upon himself and what he can bring to the table, and he's not going to sit around and say, I couldn't do it because I couldn't get anybody to answer their phone. Nobody will come help me. Um, and if you've ever said that, I'm not mocking you. But if that's your philosophy of life, maybe you deserve a little mocking. We all need help from time to time, but we also all need to approach life from the, with, with the philosophy, I'm going to do everything that I can do. All right. By the way, let me show you that right in this passage. We're going to take a, just a one-minute detour before we go to number 12. Look at verse number 2 and read that first half of the verse with me up to the comma. Galatians 6.20, uh, I'm sorry, 6.2, up to the comma. Ready? Bear ye one another's burdens, all right? Now look at verse 5. Read that whole verse with me. Ready? For every man shall bear his own burden. Contradiction. That's not the word of God. There's a contradiction. If God, excuse me, pardon me, was dumb enough to put a contradiction, he wouldn't put it three verses apart from each other. There's a point that's being made here. And that is, we ought all be willing to reach out and bear one another's burdens, but we also ought to be willing to bear our own burdens. And if everybody thought in, with both of those things in mind, boy, would the world be a greater place or what? Because way too much of this world is just sitting waiting for somebody else to bear their burdens for them. But if you have this two-pronged philosophy, all right, I'm going to bear everybody's, everybody else's burdens every chance I get, and I'm going to bear my own burdens. Boy, there'd be, a, there'd be a sweet harmony in this world. So, I think I pretty much ran number 11 in the ground, but he does not proceed or thrive on blaming and accusing. See, one more time. When you live your life waiting for other people to bear your burdens, that's how you become a blamer and an accuser. Number 12 is verse 5. For every man shall bear his own burden. Now, this is another one that you're going to say, I don't see how that fits, but it works in my brain, so it must be right. Number 12, he is principled and ethical. See, it's a matter of principle that a person decides... I'm going to bear my own burdens. It's, it's a matter of ethics, good ethics, that you don't live your life waiting for other people to help you. Now, look, one of the most important lessons I've had to learn with my health, with my foot, has been to let other people help me. I would prefer to do everything on my own. But the Lord has had to 
humble me and say, you, you, need to, you need to let somebody else do that for you. And I've gotten myself in tricky situations sometimes trying to do, like getting stuck on the roof a couple of years ago, um, trying to do things that I, I couldn't do myself and shouldn't have tried to do myself. But it's a matter of principle and a matter of ethics to say, I am, I am going to bear my own burdens. So let me give these to you again. We're all done. Twelve traits of the burden bearer from Galatians 6, 1 through 5. He's watching out for his fellow believer. He's a spirit-filled Christian. He's a restorer. He is meek. He is cautious. He puts others first. He strives to love like Jesus loves. He's honest with himself. He values the opportunity to prove that he's genuine. He strives to provide his own resources. He does not proceed or thrive on blaming and accusing. He is principled and ethical. Every circumstance you find yourself in, there's going to be burdens that need to be borne. Where there are burdens, there must be burden bearers. And you will either be a burden bearer or you will be, to some extent, a part of the burden. Would you let God give you the mindset, as you saw in Galatians 6, of the burden bearer tonight? Let's stand together tonight. And if you need a minute.